writing has been my friend, my non-judgmental friend, my my way of speaking the things that I could never say, especially in motherhood, more in motherhood than at any other period in my life before. Welcome to the Find Your Voice podcast, a show where we believe in the power of the written word to create positive change in your personal life, your community, and the world. I'm your host, Allison Fallon. Whether you're an aspiring author or someone who swears they're not a real writer, we're here to show you how a regular practice of writing will help you access your intuition, make an impact, and find your voice. Join me for interviews with authors, writing prompts, and stories of how even simple words change lives. On today's episode of the Find Your Voice podcast, I talk with Boonmi Laditon. You may already know Boonmi as The Honest Toddler on Twitter. And if you don't know her as The Honest Toddler on Twitter, you should definitely go over to Twitter and follow her right now because she's hilarious and so much fun to follow. But Boonmi is also a writer living in Quebec, Canada by way of Northern California. And her writings don't just include The Honest Toddler. They also include a book called Confessions of a Domestic Failure, and poetry such as Dear Mother, and her latest book, which is called Dear God, Honest Prayers to a God Who Listens. This was such an unexpected and delightful conversation that I had with Boomi. I say unexpected only because I didn't know her before we had this conversation. We talk about faith and writing, which is no surprise, but we also talk a lot about motherhood. That was a direction that I did not see the conversation going, but that made sense because my daughter's six months old and she writes a lot about motherhood and faith and writing. And I just wanted to, a quick note to you that I try to keep these episodes as honest as possible for you, meaning I like to let them go wherever they're going to go. Even if, if I have a list of questions going into the conversation, I just try to follow where I feel like the conversation is trying to take us. And that's definitely what happens with this conversation with Boonmi. So I love what Boonmi has to say about writing within the context of motherhood. She just says, don't force yourself, be gentle with yourself. In fact, write in the margins of your day. I loved that advice. She gives a lot of encouragement in this episode to anyone who is in a particularly dark season. And she asks a question that I think is a good reflection question for literally anyone in the world right now. She just says, as it relates to all of the pain and struggle that so many of us are going through, she asks, are we going to choose peace and justice or are we going to fall in love with the struggle? I'm just going to leave that there because I feel like that's such a good reflection question for us to ask. It's just the start of what we get into in today's episode. So I know you're going to love this. Without further ado, we'll get started. Hi there and welcome, Boonie. Thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm going to start this conversation where we always start these conversations here on the Find Your Voice podcast, which is with the same question. What does it mean to you to find your voice? Oh, to find my voice. I think it, what it means to me is to, to find my purpose, to, to really know what my purpose is in life so that I can kind of gather the, the gifts I've been given and the experiences that I've been through and, and funnel that into that mission or purpose in life. Hmm. So what, if, you, if you had to put into words what your purpose is in life, do you know, are you that clear on your purpose? I think I am. Um, I feel like my purpose is to, to help people who feel alone, um, hmm. especially mothers, you know, because I am one. I think motherhood can, while it's so beautiful, it can be so profoundly lonely. Um, and just helping people who feel alone know that they're not alone um, mm-hmm. just because other people are going through it. And also just because there's a God that loves them. I believe that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you do an amazing job of that. I'm one of the things I love so much about your, your Twitter account in particular is it does such a good job of contextualizing what we're all experiencing in the world right now in a way that has a lot of grace and, kind of give to it, you know, I mean, everybody's, we're, we're all doing this for the first time. So everyone's processing this differently, but you can tell a lot by the words that people use about this collective experience we're having 
how they feel about themselves and sort of what their inner environment is. Cause some of us, and I'm super guilty of this, but some of us are like, you know, staying positive at all costs or, or whatever it is. And I, what I love about what you do with your words on Twitter specifically is there's just so much space for us to kind of move around and, and bump around in. So I think that the language that you used for your purpose is really, that's right on target, I would say. Thank you. I appreciate that. Can we talk about motherhood for a second? Because yes. I'm just it's sort of selfish of me because I have a five month old. I'm a mom for the first time. I'm 37 oh. years old. Oh, I love that. Five and- month old. <laughs> I miss that. I miss that baby stage. It's so sweet. And, and just like you said, it's really sweet and it's so transformational. And it's mm. also a lot. And especially giving birth within the year 2020 and all that it was and the pandemic, it feels like such a transformational time, a motherhood by itself. And then all of these other things that are going on are also very transformational. And so I think the thing that has stood out to me is how chaotic it can feel when you're going through a period of transformation like that. So talk to me about what motherhood has been like for you. Wow. Motherhood has just been, I I always knew I wanted to be a mom. Um, ever since I was a, a really little girl, it just, I had this fantasy in my head of, of having this family and we live in a cottage and I'd have these children <laughs> to take care of. So I've always, I've loved kids and it's been that and it's been, but as you know, it's also so much more, it forces you, it kind of like breaks you apart and then puts you back together yeah. as this different person, but you, you're yourself, but you're someone else. You're stronger. Mm-hmm. You are more loving and tender. It's just this wild ride. And it's, it's so yeah. scary sometimes. It is. I think I'm in the breaks you apart phase of motherhood right now, which is, you know, I mean, thankfully I've deconstructed other aspects of my life. So it's not the first time I've been through a season of deconstruction. And because yeah. of that, I have a little bit of a gauge that, you know, like the chaos that you feel in this time is kind of normal. I, I at least have like that North star that yes. this is normal, but I don't know. I mean, it's, it's really fascinating to me how you, even kind of like in a primal unconscious way, it takes you back to your own childhood wounds and it oh, kind of yeah. calls to the surface, the things that you hadn't dealt with. Did you find that to be true when you became a mom? Absolutely. Because all of those things, all of those childhood wounds, they emerge and mm. you're, I think every parent, every mother comes to that crossroads where you see yourself and you, as a child and you see these wounds and, you know, you have this choice. It's like whether to perpetuate something or to do something new. And we're not always going to get it right. Nobody always gets it right. But there's so much opportunity for healing in motherhood. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a messy kind of you know, snot cry healing, but there's so many opportunities for that. And I think that's one of the most beautiful things about it. Man, that's so good. Something you just said, you have a choice. When you see these wounds come up, you have a choice. You can either perpetuate something or become something new. That really lands with me. That really resonates with me about motherhood for sure. Yes. Yeah. We all, we all have wounds. We all have those, like those things, you know, especially it's so funny because we, the way we look at our parents you know, as kids, they were these like giants and they were almost like these godlike figures. And then when you become a parent, especially when you are their age, when they were parents at at different Mm. stages, like, oh, they, they were just people who really were doing their best. They had no idea. Yeah. It has brought, it has brought a lot of compassion to me for my, my parents and helped me engage with the relationship in a really different way. That's, that's so true. Me too. I think there's so much to unpack right there. Th- this idea, because I feel like this has a, a significance with what's happening in our world right now too. So in a second, I'm going to circle back around to this idea of either you know continuing on the same broken path or, or transforming into something new. But I also want to ask about the idea of using writing as a tool for our own healing and growth. Did you use writing while you were in the thick of motherhood? And if so, how did you use it to help you process the wounds that were coming up? Writing has been my friend, my non-judgmental friend, my my way of speaking the things that I could never say, especially in motherhood. 
more mm-hmm. in motherhood than at any other period in my life before. Because um, when I was writing, I wrote a book called Confessions of a Domestic Failure. And it was a fiction book. I say fiction, but it was really the book. It was about me as a mother and the book that I wish that I'd had because I felt so lonely. Mm-hmm. And a lot of my writing in motherhood has come out of this kind of loneliness and, and these, and it sounds like kind of sad to say that mostly of like these harder feelings and the joy too, but motherhood is such like a bittersweet thing. And, and maybe it's because yeah. I, I struggled with, I had postpartum depression and, and I went through a lot of things during motherhood, but it's been the way that I've been able to express what's going on, to say the things that I couldn't really say, or I felt like I couldn't say to other people. Yeah, man, it's so true. There's so much of that that happens in the early stages of motherhood. And I, I've thought so many times recently how much we really need to normalize conversations around mental health, especially for women who are just postpartum, because, you know, like the scans that you go through in the, the at the hospital, they'll ask you like a series of questions, you know, right. are you, have you felt sad more often than usual? Do you feel feelings of frustration or anger toward your spouse? Or And I, I just have to laugh at those lists of questions, especially in the time of COVID, because I'm like, well, yes, of course I feel sad more often than I'm used to feeling. Do you, what, someone, one of the other questions was something like, you know, do you not look forward to the activities you used to look forward to? And it's like, none of us get to look forward to the activities we used to enjoy. We need a new set of questions I for know. COVID because... Uh, but you know I mean I have found it to be I have just found myself to to speak to the loneliness you're talking about around motherhood in the first five months of being a mom that so much of what I'm experiencing I haven't heard talked about at least publicly Mm -hmm. I don't hear women talk about the this like period of deconstruction or old childhood wounds coming up or I don't hear them talking about mental health struggles or, you know, making a decision about whether I should breastfeed or, or, you know, get on medication for the postpartum depression that I'm feeling. I don't know. I'm this, because it's something that you feel passionate about too. I don't know if you have, you know, like a piece of advice or encouragement for myself or for other women. I know we have a lot of women who listen to our podcast who are in a similar stage. Yes, no, totally. And I like the conversations have gotten more honest, but they still have a long way to go. And I think that's Mm. because there's still so much guilt, self-judgment, and honestly, there is judgment. There still is this feeling that as a mom, you just need to pull it together and also that everyone's doing a better job than you, um, that you are just in this uniquely messy and hard situation and that everyone else is just doing better. You know, even I, I'm really, I really limit my Instagram time. I don't scroll on the explore feed or anything. I post what I want to post for work really. And I leave because Mm -hmm. even as a mom, or I've been a mom for 14 years and I have a really difficult time. I don't know if it's because I'm more insecure than the average person, but I have a really difficult time scrolling and seeing, you know, the, uh, the matching pajamas and the, (laughs) the, oh my gosh, there was a celebrity and more power to her, but she just had this baby like maybe three months ago and she posted herself in this bikini and she looked better than I even have before kids. (laughs) I I can't, I I literally can't handle that. Um, because it just, as strong as I, and I, I support all these women and I know logically they have their hard times too, but just when I'm seeing these homes where these remodeled kitchens and just these meals and it just, to me in my head, and, and I'm sure a lot of it has to do with just that, you know, I struggle with anxiety. I'll always take medication for anxiety. I struggle with depression that I look at these things and I immediately kind of just look at my kitchen, my body, my, yeah. my and thinking, I should be in a better place than I am now. And these conversations about should I breastfeed or should I take my medication? You know, is it okay to be pregnant and this medication? You're just so afraid that people will say, no, what are you doing? You're so bad. You're awful. (laughs) You know? 
Yeah. You know, one thing I did recently, I made the decision right about the time my daughter turned five months to switch from breastfeeding to formula. I had been exclusively breastfeeding. And for whatever reason, the reason all of us come to this conclusion, I was like very attached to the idea of exclusively breastfeeding. Right. And I kind of had this nagging sense for a while that that this was just too much for me, that yes. with everything that I had going on, we were in the middle of a cross-country move. I'm working full-time. My husband completely lost his job during COVID. So now I'm the the breadwinner in our house. And there was just, you know, and then giving birth in the middle of a pandemic and trying to do everything was just like, I was like, this is too much. So when I finally made the decision to switch and I had like all, just what you're talking about, all this guilt, self-judgment, shame, feelings about making the switch and, you know, this inner processing, I usually at that point in a process of making a decision, I usually don't share publicly because it's such a sensitive time, but I made the decision to share publicly on Instagram because what I wanted to do is, is show from a most vulnerable place, what was happening behind the curtain of me becoming a mom and hopefully, you know, encourage maybe one woman out there who was feeling similar that it was okay for her to like, you know, not be totally settled with her decision and, and to make the decision that felt right for her, even though it's a, a difficult decision to make. And I was really shocked with, I thought I was going to get, you know, I kind of made a uh, um, joke in the caption that I wasn't interested in hearing anyone's opinion. Right. But I actually got like hundreds of comments from women who were like, good for you way to go for, you know, doing what's best for you and your family. Amazing. So like fed is best, which was a phrase I actually hadn't heard before. All I'd heard was breast is best. And it was cool to see all these moms kind of rally around me and come together and be really supportive of this decision that I had made. It was, it was an unexpected grace. I think I found from, from sharing that vulnerably on social media. I'm curious what your experience has been like sharing vulnerably in your books and your blog and on social media about what it's like to be a mom. Have you found something similar? Have you found, you know, a lot of support or have you found there's criticism and judgment that comes from the outside too? I found just like you that honestly, 99% of people are supportive when you come out there with this, this is what I'm going through. And this is hard. And especially such sensitive things like, you know, breastfeeding is one of those issues where you're so worried that you're going to get this mom who says, well, you know, you can really make it work if you just get this pump and then you can pump it this time, this time, this time, (laughs) and then take these supplements. And then, you know, if you really cared because, you know, (laughs) so you're always like, that's going to be like the point one percent like it's gonna be 99.9 positive and then there'll just be like a one or two comments to that way I when you when we reach out and are vulnerable like that I have found that people are mostly supportive yeah there just is that fear but there are so many moms who get it and whether their issue is the breastfeeding issue or whether it's something in marriage or a schooling thing or a daycare thing they get it. They'll relate it to their thing that they're afraid to talk about. And they have that compassion. It's, it's awesome. It is awesome. And, and, you know, I mean, you're making this point without directly saying it, but I'll just say too, I think so much of the things that we're most afraid to share from our personal experience are usually the things that are most relatable. So, yes. you know, if you're afraid to share your words or your, your life on Instagram, cause you're like, my kitchen doesn't look like her kitchen or my body doesn't look like her body or whatever. Usually it's those very things that actually bring the most solidarity and humanity and groundedness to the experience that we're all having on Instagram. I mean, what a bummer it would be if everywhere on social media, all we saw was kind of the like, you know, whitewashed version of people's lives. And then we thought that that was real life and that's what everyone else is doing. And then we're the only ones who, who are like, you know, living in the midst of the chaos. It's we're all living in the midst of the chaos. We, we really, we are all doing that. And, you know, I like, Instagram for pretty pictures like like everybody else I just want to see pretty things and it's true like people should be able to share their most beautiful moments you know it's something I just really have to get over because people are sharing their most beautiful and perfect moments and if they are a content creator there's that pressure because you want people to you know if they're like an influencer where they they need to be inspirational in that way they need to do that but like yeah I totally agree with you that that people really want to see real life especially now they want to see real life totally totally 
Well, thank you for humoring me on the motherhood conversation. Like I said, it's it's selfish for me to go down that path, but I'm like oh, right in the midst no, of it right not, now. And I, it's I, not at all. <laughs> it's not. I, I love I love talking about motherhood and us connecting on that. It's so amazing. I love that you have a five month old. Like I'm just imagining this like little baby. Oh, oh they smell yeah. so good. They age. do. I mean, that's it's there's she's such a little squish and she just oh, smiles she's at everything. Oh, little yeah. squish. So sweet. Oh my god. Well, I want to circle back around to something you said a second ago when you were talking about motherhood. You said, you know, we have a choice when we enter into the season where we're confronted with our old wounds or our old way of doing something, we can either perpetuate the old way or we can become something new. And I want to talk about this idea as it relates to the season of life and time that we are collectively living through with COVID as the overarching umbrella starting from last March until we're still living through this. So global pandemic, but also inside of that, the political unrest, the Black Lives Matter movement, the, I feel like we're being confronted with Mm. the demons of our culture. Absolutely. And we're being asked the question, what are you going to do about it? So I would love to hear your perspective on this and how you're processing all the, you know, all the shit that's going to. (laughs) Absolutely. I think that in every single way we're being confronted, I mean, just people being at home and I don't want to use the word forced, but kind of like you're with your family all the time. (laughs) Um, So any unhealthy dynamic, anything that is, is, you know, needed to be fixed, anything that needed to be healed that normally you just wouldn't really have to confront because you're busy, you're moving, you know, you're driving, you're going to these places. No, we're mostly home and these things are going to be worked on. And same at, at, a, at the government level, same at the, the citizen level, all of the things that were just underneath the surface there and we could see them but they were just underneath the surface. It feels like everything just exploded at once. Yes. And we are in this time of, yeah, what what are you going to do about it? What's going to happen? Are, are you going to, we can no longer ignore things. And I think that right now, I think that the real crossroads isn't even, are we going to fix it or not? But are we going to choose justice and peace Hmm. or are we going to fall so much in love with just the fight and the struggle and and who's wrong and who's right because I, I do believe you can't have peace without justice but I also believe that at some point somehow I don't know what it is but we have to like lay down all of our weapons and wounds Hmm. and look at each other as human beings and try, try to find some, some love there. Everybody, you know, because I mean, one thing I'm learning and I'm going through some things with like, like related to marriage stuff. And I've come to a point where, you know, you can go back and forth with a fight about who's wrong, who's right, who did this, who did that. You could you can literally do that forever. Sure. Especially because there're always these two different perspectives, but nothing moves forward until you're willing to to say like I want this healed. Both of you, I want this healed even more than I want to say my piece or I want to be right. Yeah. And that's such like a it's a hard place to get to because everybody wants to to speak to feel justified, you know, everybody wants to talk about what hurts them and, and everybody wants an apology, but we're going to have to look at these, like take all of this pain, put it in the middle, look at it objectively and say, okay, okay, how do we, how do we heal it? How do we heal this? The people who are willing to do that, not everybody is willing to, but hopefully there's enough of us who want things to be healed above everything else. Yeah. Man, that is so, so good. I want to listen to that back a couple <laughs> That's of times. That's what I'm living kind of... through right now. <laughs> and it's hard. It's hard because, you know, it's, it's not the playground rules. The playground rules say, you know, whoever is biggest wins, whoever's the most popular wins, whoever has the most people on their side wins. And then, you know, the, the victim tells the teacher, somebody goes in timeout. It's all like about that, that dynamic. Yeah. So like really practically speaking, I know 
uh, most people who are listening to this podcast are in the camp of really wanting this to be healed. I believe deep down, I actually believe deep down, all of us want that. And, you know, we're all like living out our own wounds in our own ways, but deep down, you know, we really want this to be healed. And at the same time, I'll speak from personal experience this time for me, 2020 and now into 2021 has been incredibly overwhelming. (laughs) And so I'm wondering if you can just get really practical for us and give us some thoughts on, and maybe you can just tell us how you've done this, but like, how do we commit to the healing and, and, you know, like take this piece by piece and also have grace for ourselves that this is brand new territory that we're mm. all living in. It, it is so brand new. And I think the first thing, like even how it relates to, to motherhood is admitting it, admitting that this is so hard. It is mm. so hard and it's going to take a toll, whether that toll comes through you just having anxiety, needing to get a therapist, needing to get medication for a time, needing to, you know, confront like unhealthy coping mechanisms. It's, it's difficult. It's messy. Just knowing that everyone is on the same page in that way to different degrees based on, you know, some people have more, so it's easier, um, things like that. But Starting there, for me, what's what's the only thing that's been getting me through is I love the Psalms in the Bible. And there's this Psalm, mm. it's called Psalm 121. And it's like, I will lift up my eyes into the hills. From whence cometh my help. My help comes from the Lord who created heaven and earth. And I painted this painting a while ago. I'm not like a painter or anything. I just did it. Um, and yeah. it's, it's of these mountains because I, I love the mountains in general. And when I look at it, it just reminds me to look up. And because not that we we have to ignore what's going on, but I have to believe, and I do believe that there is a higher power, there is a higher order who is helping us and who, if we ask for help, and if we're willing to be humble, will help us. And that's honestly what's getting me through because I can no longer put my faith in governments or people, you know, yeah. we, we, we can, ex- we can expect things and we can, we can hold them to accountable, but humans are going to human. Yeah, man, isn't that the truth? You know, we're going to human, we're going to do it. Yeah. (laughs) You know, this feels like a nice dovetail into talking about your newest book, which is called Dear God. I'm assuming that there's a connection here, this idea that, you know, we can't continue to put our faith in, in humans or in government or in systems or whatever, that we have to sort of turn somewhere else. And I'm wondering if you can talk about what made you want to write this book? And yeah, talk about what made you want to write the book. It, it's so random, I know. And like the decision to write it was such a weird thing. So, okay, I start with Honest Toddler. And then I wrote a book about like mother, a couple books about, no, a few books about motherhood. And then I did, I did, I had fiction about motherhood and poetry. And then all of a sudden, dear God, and I know people are just like, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, are you okay? Like, you know? <laughs> And I even thought to myself, I'm like, so the decision to burn my career down, what is behind that? (laughs) (laughs) No, I love one of your endorsers said something about the book. Jenny Lawson says, I'm not religious. This book should not be for me, but it is. It's beautiful prose, brutal honesty, comfort and grace and relevance. Oh, thank you. I I love Jenny so much. She is exactly who you believe she is. She's just so beautiful and needs to be protected mm. at all costs. Like her heart and her brilliant mind. She's so amazing. So I, I just, um, <laughs> I had such a spiritual journey my whole life, my whole life. I would call, I definitely call myself a seeker and I went through everything. Like I went through every religion and every like new age thing everything from the secret to paganism, everything, um, manifestation, you know? And yeah, I, at one point, you know, when I just hit rock bottom in life in general, just life and everything and, and in faith, I kind of turned to who I hoped was God. You no, know? hopefully someone's listening to me. And I, I said, I can't do this on my own anymore. I can't. My life has become, look at this, you know? And I knew at that time, I felt that I was definitely supposed to put my hope in God and my trust in God, even though like so many people, I had religious wounds Mm. from religious people, religious organizations, you know, those uncomfortable and hurtful things. And so as I started, I began praying. And as I began praying, I began writing my prayers in a journal. 
And it was actually my agent who suggested you know, that, oh, why don't you... <laughs> Why don't you write a book like this? And I still don't know why she suggested that because that wouldn't be good for her career either. Because if, <laughs> if I'm not earning an income, she's not either. So yeah. I still, I honestly, I think it was a divine thing for her to even say that. She's not a religious person either. And I still don't consider myself, you know, I don't like to think of myself as religious, but maybe I am. So I just, as I was writing this book, dear God, I'm writing the prayers that I'm experiencing. And I felt God teaching me about forgiveness, about mm-hmm. hope, about about love and about his love and about how he never abandoned me and he was always there. And yes, life is so crazy and it's so chaotic, but when you lift your eyes, when you're willing to ask for help and when you're and when your hope is in something other than what you can see with the physical, things change. Hmm. things will change. And there is a peace that you'll have that, yes, I still struggle. Yes, I still will need anxiety medication for the rest of my life. I am serotonin deficient, but but I have this peace with me that has changed everything. That's amazing. So that's what this book is about. Well, I mean, I think, you know, I talk to authors about this a lot because I do work with you know, both authors who are just getting started out and then also authors who have been kind of in the game for a long time and are trying to decide what's the next best move for me or play for me as an author. Yes. And the reason that I call my company Find Your Voice and the reason this podcast is called Find Your Voice is because I believe through and through and it will, I will be hard pressed to ever change my belief to this fact, which is that we are, are gifted the messages that we are called to put out in the world. And you can, you can, make decisions about what your next book is to write based on what the audience is wanting from you or based on what the market is asking for or based on how many copies you think you'll sell. And that will never be as satisfying as writing the book that is, is growing from the inside of you. That's the the message that's been gifted to you that you believe you are meant to share with the world. So absolutely. 110%. Well, talk about this book as it relates to that. Like what, if you had to sum up in a couple of phrases, what you want a reader to know when they read this book, as they're finished reading the book, what would some of those things be? I think that would be one, I'm not alone. Hmm. Two, the darkness will not destroy me. It, it, it doesn't have the power to destroy me, yeah. any power that I don't give it. And it, yes, it hurts, but it will not hurt forever. And that I am loved with, the same love that rises and sets the sun. I am loved powerfully and completely and seen completely and still loved. So beautiful. So I'm just going to repeat that list for people who are listening. You're not alone. The darkness will not destroy you. This will not hurt forever. And you are loved completely. Completely. Mm. And it's one thing to be loved, you know, um, but when you're seen and loved, like, because we, we hide things about ourselves, even from the people that know mm. us. No one, no one can see our thoughts. But I believe that God not only sees all of you, the broken parts, the messy parts, the mean parts, the jealous parts, the parts that we're ashamed of, and still loves us completely. That's, that belief, even when I say it now, it just still blows me away. And it, that's what keeps me warm. And that's what keeps me going through these hard days when it's when it's when it's 5:30 in, in the afternoon and I'm beyond done like I'm running on fumes at 5:30 and then the yeah. people are like what's for dinner first of all I have no idea okay I <laughs> I never <laughs> I never I'm 14 year, years into this motherhood game I don't know what's for dinner I don't I know mean, I don't it's, it's know. Just- Shocking to me that not every mother out there has a meal plan because I always just assume like other moms like shop and buy all the things that they need to cook, all the meals for the week. And I'm the same as you. It's like 6 p.m. And I'm like, who knows? There are moms who do it. Oh, there are moms who are so organized and I love them. I want to be, I've tried to be one of them, but it's not me. I don't have it in me. You either have it in you or you don't. And I don't. I will never be that person. I go to the grocery store and I'm like, quesadillas sound good and I'll get stuff yeah. with quesadillas. I'll get ice cream I'll get almonds I just walk through the aisles and <laughs> I feel like this looks nice good. like I've written this before I will lose that list before I get out of the car <laughs> I lose it that happened more than once 
Destiny doesn't want me to do that. And so the kids, it's 5.30. The kids are asking me, what's for dinner? And first of all, I'm still shocked that I have to make dinner. I'm still shocked. <laughs> like I, I haven't, it's, it, it hasn't gotten normal to me. The fact that I'm responsible for all these meals, because that's the third meal and how many snacks yeah. of the day. So I'm shocked. I'm personally offended, frankly. Um, I feel attacked. I, I do. I feel attacked when they ask me what's for dinner. You're like, like, why don't you tell me what's for dinner? Yeah. Why are you, what? And this is every night. I don't know why I can't get used to it. And so they're asking <laughs> for dinner and I'm just like and so what my my it's my 14 year old who asked me she, she knows she knows me by now there's a certain point where your kids see you for who you are right and she goes what's for dinner and by what's for dinner she means heads up you need to make dinner and yeah. time is coming soon <laughs> that's what she means she and she's she's an organized type I gave birth to an organized type which it still blows my mind right so she's just like giving me a heads up and then at that point I say um I you say, oh yeah, I'm I'm getting started because I don't know, and so I go in the fridge and like I start like you know I start scrambling. Last night we had hot dogs and cucumber slices, you know, <laughs> like I, I I've made salmon before. Like every like once a week I'll do like a real like salmon and green beans, and I feel amazing. Yeah. But most of the time, you know, it's like a collection of hors d'oeuvres, or I'll just do pasta with pasta sauce and like mix that up in one pot. <laughs> Yeah, you know? yeah. Like I, that's how I imagine they eat in like the the navy or like marines. Yeah. You know, I'm raising soldiers out here. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> and like, um, so I don't even know where I was going with. Okay, so yeah, when when I'm just at my limit, and and both sinks, the both sides of the sinks are full of dishes. You know, the the pets still need to be fed. I haven't walked the dog yet, and she's like suffering. You know, like the dogs are yeah. suffering. <laughs> and at that point, I'm just like, this is unmanageable. And then I just remember, God loves me. <laughs> You know, I don't really, I still don't know what he was kind of going through mentally when he created me because I feel like more could have been done, you know, just to like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I just feel like, you know, I feel like I was like a second draft. Like there could have been a final draft or like, like, I don't know. It's fine. Whatever. It is what it is. God knows what he's doing. Like, okay, I'm not going to, I'm not going to criticize the master of the universe, even though I just did. I'm just saying, you know, I feel like more could have been done. So as I get this dinner done and I'm wearing, I'm on day four of the same sweatpants. And that's when they're at their yeah. peak comfort sweatpants on day four. I let you know. <laughs> and you really don't want to wash them because they're, you know, no. they're feeling their softest. They, they yeah, become like, a part of you. They become a part of you at that point. It's like Iron Man and his suit. It's like you're one at that point. You don't smell <laughs> like the best. No, but you feel good. Like and you feel comforted. You feel hugged. And so at that point, I'm, and then I just remember like, okay, God created me. Like the Bible says he knows every hair on my head. He, he, he made this and he loves me. And so even though I'm not going to get any awards in dom- domesticity, but I'm still loved and I'm still held and we made it through this day. <laughs> yeah. So, your kids are alive. I they're, mean. they're living. They, they get fed. I give them vitamins at least once a week. You know, you know what I did right now with vitamins. So I, I, I have a hack with vitamins. I get adult vitamins and then I just give them to them like every third day. And I feel okay. like that works, you know, because yeah, with the kids vitamins, you have to remember every day. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm not even to the place where I have to remember to give my child vitamins yet. So we'll see how things unravel when I get there. But let me tell you, the dog would never pee if it weren't for my husband. Or she'd pee in the house if it weren't for my husband. And we would never eat anything other than cheese and apples. <laughs> well, cheese yeah. and apples, I feel like that is a complete meal just because. Okay, good. See, yeah, you're, you getting you're getting the dairy, you know, yes. what else is there? Yeah, that's protein. There's mm. protein. That's what's missing. There's nothing missing. <laughs> the Thank you. In Thank you for validating me on that. You know, <laughs> listen, if you need validation for any of these things, I'm here. <laughs> Because I will go through the mental gymnastics to make it okay. I love anything, it. but it really is it. fine. Cheese and 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 fruit—that's a meal. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. It's a sandwich. Sandwich. There's a phrase that keeps coming to my mind. It actually has been coming to my mind a bunch for the past couple of weeks. But as you're talking, it's coming to mind too. And it's a phrase from the recovery community, and it, it's a phrase that you use at the very beginning of your process in recovery. And it's just the realization that your life has become unmanageable. Yes. 
And this has really landed with me on a couple of times in my life. I went through a divorce several years ago and there came a point in the marriage where I realized that all of the jumping through hoops and twisting myself into knots and everything that I had done to make things seem okay in the marriage was not working anymore for me. And I could no longer keep these balls in the air that I had been juggling in the air for so long. And I just had to admit to myself this has become unmanageable. Yeah. I thought I could, I thought I could handle things and I do not have it handled any longer. And the beauty of this moment where life has become unmanageable is, and I think you're getting at this, is that it is the doorway. It is the threshold into a, a deeper relationship with the divine, into like the, the feeling of being held, like despite the fact that I dropped every ball that I had, you know, that I had up in the air, even still past that, and in fact, especially still here, I'm held, I'm, I'm loved, I'm taken care of. I'm actually okay. Absolutely. That rock bottom, I don't know if you call it rock bottom, but that, that point of admission where you're, <laughs> where you're saying, this is above me. I can't do this. I have tried. I've done everything. I have, you know, when you're just trying and trying, trying to fit this, this square, this like round thing into the square, you know, you know that imagery yes. where you're trying to fix it, fix it, fix it, fix it. And when you get to that place, and I, I know that phrase very well, where it's become unmanageable and where you admit that, that is the beginning of everything. There's this like, there's this, um, I was going to say there's this, there's this lyric in Proverbs, like it's like a, a hot track, you know, there's this, <laughs> there's, this, there's this track in Proverbs where it's, <laughs> you know, dropped in like 70 AD, you know, when that when that album dropped um, by King yeah. David. Like, oh, like, <laughs> there's this verse in Proverbs where it says, like, the love of God is the beginning of wisdom. And I think mm. the love of God has to come from, I think what that means isn't just like great feelings about God or how I interpret it, but really saying, God, I need you because I can't do everything. Yes. And I think that that place where for me, because I know not everyone believes in God. I totally respect that. Um, I totally respect that. But for me, it was the beginning of a wisdom point for me, just knowing, okay, I can't, I can't manage my life by myself. Yes. I've tried. I have tried. Yeah. You know, we were, we were raised to be strong women. We were in school. They were always yeah. talking about, no, you can do it. You can do anything as good as a boy. You can do this. Da, da. It was always pumped into us, especially during the time when I was growing up. And and I always saw I can fight anything. And being raised an American, too, we're all about picking yourself up and trying your best. And But I cannot do it like by myself. Yeah. What What wisdom do you think that has for us in the period of time that we're living in right now, where where the unrest and chaos is at its height, and we all are desperate for healing? What How can that How can this inform the way that we even approach the healing of the world? On the, well, for the I think on the individual level, I think people just knowing first it's okay not to be okay, and mm, being yeah. not being okay will not necessarily break you. It can if, if, you, if you don't get help or if someone doesn't help reach out to help you or you don't get the medication you need. It can. Or, or an unhope, unhealthy coping mechanism starts to unravel your life. Yes, it can. But in the general sense, it's okay to admit that you're not okay in the moment. Yeah. Um, on, on a bigger level, I think that, oh, man, that we have to admit that the way we've been doing things isn't working and yeah. isn't isn't set in stone. COVID, COVID just showed us so many things that we thought were the only way to do things, and we're learning that it wasn't. That that just yes. wasn't true. You know, that is so true. We yeah, we were just like, there's no way I could not travel every week, and then it's like, right. oh yes, there's a way. Yeah, oh, there's a way. way. There's a way. We couldn't possibly do this over a Zoom call. It's like, oh, yeah, there's I know. a way. I know, right? <laughs> No, no, no. There is a way. There is a way. And it's so funny. And I think that just we've we've been dismantled as individuals, um, individuals in terms of our schedules as families. Things have had to change so much. And with governments and institutions, I think that 
we have to learn, even like on a sociological level, how we interact with each other, how races interact with each other, how men and women interact with each other and the roles. Because I know that there was a study that came out that women were were losing their jobs at, at a much faster rate um, mm. just because trying to, to balance motherhood and everything, that sure. things have to change and they have to start from this place of one is not working and are we going to have compassion for each other or not? Are we going to mm. do it or not? Yeah, that's powerful. We and have powerful to, because we've learned it, it's not a it's not a individual thing. What impacts our neighbor impacts us. It's no yeah. longer like, oh, I'm okay. Like that family's struggling. Oh, okay, that guy is homeless, but that doesn't change my life. And we finally learned that no, <laughs> when someone else is sick, it impacts you. Like for yes. like for real, for real. We have to take care of each other. We have to. Hmm. Thank you for that. That's such a powerful way to start to wrap up this episode. I do need to round the corner to the end. One other question that I have for you, because I know we have so many writers who listen to this podcast who are interested in implementing a practice of writing in their own lives. I'm curious what, I always like to ask people what writing looks like for you Mm. in real life, because we have all of these myths of the writing life, right? Oh yeah. People like, you know, like go to a cabin in the woods for a week to write their books or whatever. How did this book get written? Like, what does writing look like for you? Oh, man. Oh, at first, I love writers so much. I love us. I love us. (laughs) All stages, I love us. We are so, like, we're so hard on ourselves. And we're always trying so hard and and everything. And uh, so, okay. So first, first of all, what makes you a writer is that, you want to write and you have something to write. Even when you don't have something to write, even when you're just living and you're, cause there's the writing state like period. And there's just the yeah. living stage where sometimes you're not writing and you're just like living so that, you know, you're just like kind of percolating inside yourself and that's okay. Totally. That totally. is completely okay. I've gone months where I haven't written a single thing and that's okay. For me, writing looks like I love journals so much. It's very Almost, I have ADHD. I don't know if you can tell, but like, um, <laughs> I have, and it's unmedicated, as you can <laughs> because you know I, I I take it for my anxiety, but I don't want to do too much of a cocktail to my brain, you know. So I have to, yeah, 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 you know. So, um, <laughs> so it's very hard for me to sit at the computer and just be like, I'm gonna write a thousand words like that is next to impossible for me so I like to have journals and I have a, I have pens with me I have pens all over the house I have a few journals all over the house too and so when I have an idea for something I'll just write it down in the journal and most of my books have started like that and then when I kind of get my confidence up I'll take what I've written in the journal and I open Google Docs. I no longer trust Microsoft Word. It almost deleted an entire <laughs> book for me. This isn't a hit at Microsoft. I know lots of people use them, but I'm scared of you, you know? So Totally. Um, I like anything that's going to lose my work is definitely out of my life for it's good. Terrifying. Terrifying. The idea. I also am known for like spilling water on my computer. So yes. that's the other reason why I don't use Microsoft Word. I, I am a huge fan of Google Yes, Docs I've well. done that as well. My, my computer just came back from Apple Care after um incident with the cat being pushed off taking the l taking the letter l with his claws so oh, we are no. yes technical issues yes they happen at, at my home too and so um right oh don't don't force yourself in terms of okay you know i've got to get a thousand words a day or five thousand words a week you know or i i suck you know Hmm. Yes, there's something to be said for for pushing yourself and deadlines you know if you if you're if you're the type of person who can who can really make those goals without hating yourself, go for it. But if you're, if you're one of me, you really just have to be gentle, gentle with yourself and mm. write in those journals. Like, Oh, I love that. There's this Toni Morrison quote where she, where she was in poverty at the time and she was a single mom. And they asked her, how did you, how did you find time to write? And she said, I wrote in the edges of the day. And I love that. So uh, much. I love that. I ate that. It's so good. I'm still snacking on the, on the words. Like I'm, I, it's like the best food ever. And so when you have that journal with you, and I also love the notes app on my phone. I yeah. write, I write in the notes app. I'll write an email and email it to myself. It's however you can get those words down and be careful. You know, don't play the game where you get a really good thought at 3am and think you're going to remember it. Cause you won't. You never will. You never, never will. <laughs> That thought 
will be taken from you and given to somebody else. That's what happens. Totally. It flies out of your brain. It's so crazy. Yeah. The angel's like, oh, you don't care? Cool. Bye. Like, (laughs) give it to someone else who had a pen and paper by their bedside table. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes you'll write it down. It'll make zero sense in the morning and you'll question your mental state. That happens. (laughs) You know, that's okay. Okay. Yeah. You know, we need to question our mental state every now and then. So question your mental state. You got to question it. And so like, write wherever you can. And then if you're really kind of like, okay, I want to get this book done. I'm tired of, I'm tired of, um, it being halfway and you're going to give yourself these deadlines, go for that too. Like if, mm-hmm. if that's what you're doing, just do what you can and, and know that when you can't, when you write 10 words in a day, that'll happen. That's okay too. When I first started writing, I was writing for free for Huffington Post. I was writing for whatever, whatever blog would take me. I, I've self-published even after being traditionally published. Self-publishing is yeah. not. It is so, it's so good. We need to do a whole other podcast interview where you talk about self-publishing and the importance of self-publishing. Oh, it's, it's so hot. And if you're willing to just, just do whatever it takes with your book and and join these communities where people promote each other, like, and, and, Mm -hmm. oh man, self-publishing is like amazing too. So good. Well, I feel like I could talk with you forever. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) For hours. You're really fun to talk to. Oh, thanks. So are you. This I've loved this conversation. There's already so much goodness here for us to dig into. So I just want to say thank you so much for your time and for the wisdom that you shared and for writing this book. Those of you who are listening, I want you to go find a copy of this book called Dear God, Honest Prayers to a God Who Listens by Bumi Laditan. Am I saying your name correctly? Yeah, Bumi Laditan. Laditan. Okay. My kids just um, say so- hey, you or bruh, so it doesn't really matter. Okay. <laughs> you're gonna love this book and um, I'm just really grateful for you spending this time with us today so thank you again thank you for having me on Allison I'm gonna call you Allie now I love it please do Allie (laughs) thanks for listening to the find your voice podcast we hope this inspires you to pick up a pen and start finding the words that will change your life your community and your world If you liked what you heard today, share with a friend, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And if you haven't already, check out our website, findyourvoice.com. Subscribe to our Monday Motivation for free and get inspiring writing prompts in your inbox each week. Until next time, happy writing.